if you're not using SEO data in your planning, you run the risk of spending countless hours, resources, energy, interview time, content development time into a function that may not actually yield eyeballs. Welcome to the Look Left at Marketing podcast. This is the fourth episode in our series on content marketing featuring Look Left's head of digital, Matt Raven. Companies typically devote a great deal of time and effort putting together a PR strategy. Goals, campaign themes, messaging, media lists, they're all classic components of a plan. But in today's digital era, SEO data should be part of that mix, and yet in many cases it's not. In this program, Matt will offer three ideas for effectively using SEO data to build a PR plan. So Matt, first of all, why are so few brands incorporating SEO data to enhance their PR strategies, and what are the risks by ignoring this kind of data? To answer the first part of the question, why do so few brands incorporate it? I think it's um, it really is far less to do with uh, a lack of desire to incorporate search data in their planning and more of um, a lack of knowledge. And I think there's a high level of intimidation when people start throwing around SEO and search data and how organizations should or should not use it in planning. And hopefully what we can start to dispel today and through the blog that we recently published is that it's really far less technical and tricky than it actually sounds. Uh, And with some really brief but useful nuggets, you can really take your planning to the next level and beyond just planning, right, the the, uh, objectives and the goals uh, and the metrics that can really be accomplished from a PR strategy. And then the the second part of that question, what are brands missing by not incorporating it? I think um, the simple answer is visibility. There's this staggering statistic that I've certainly used in in various episodes with Brian, but over 90% of content that's published does not get a single click. And the reason for that is that it's created, in a sense, in a vacuum, uh, because it's not leveraging SEO data that is, is relatively easy to get. And so what I would say is, if you're not using SEO data in your planning for the year, you run the risk of spending countless hours, resources, energy, interview time, content development time into a function that may not actually yield eyeballs from the audiences that you're hoping to target. And so our hope is that brands and organizations start to build comfort in incorporating some of this data so that they can avoid those glaring potential mistakes. Yeah, you could really make the argument that if you're not incorporating SEO data into your planning, you're not fully planning. Exactly. In essence, I mean, if if you're not thinking about how users are searching for the information that you are planning to to write about, to build a thought leadership platform about, and then you're not trying to understand how they share that information on the back end, you're really operating in the dark. Why is it after, you know, SEO isn't new, we were starting to talk about it, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. Why is it that companies are so intimidated still? I don't know the real reason, or, or I should say that I assume that there is a laundry list of reasons, but Um, My hunch and and in my general experience is that SEO has always, uh, still does, and probably always will have a very technical connotation and technical association. So when people say SEO, I would say that the first thing that comes to people's mind, or the majority of people anyway, would be the very technical components, the on-page, the you know, website indexability and and load speed and all of the meta elements that go into the back end of a website. And people start to associate the broader practice of SEO into that silo versus thinking about the more contextual side of SEO, which is 
content strategy, using keyword insights to fuel that content strategy. And I think people, as a result of that, view them as very separate siloed efforts. And I think that's probably the main reason why people seem to ignore it. You know, it's, oh, that SEO thing is really more focused about our website, right? And making sure that crawlers can crawl it and they lose sight of the fact that really SEO and content marketing and content strategy should be viewed as synonymous activities. And as a matter of fact, all of that work that goes into determining what's going to make it for an effective content marketing program really bleeds right into, it should anyway, the company's overall messaging and strategy. Because if you can be saying all kinds of things, but if uh, if it's not resonating with your market and your customers and your prospects, then again, you're, you're just sort of yelling into a vacuum and it's not effective. That's right. Messaging refinement is a huge part of every annual PR plan, right? What did we say last year? What messages did we really want to bring to market and have resonate? And what is that going to look like this year? Is it different subtly? Is it a wholesale change, right? And um SEO should be a key component to that, right? There is tremendous value in understanding um, not just what people are searching for, but how certain phrases and variations of phrases are trending. Are they going upward in popularity? Are they moving downward in popularity? Are people using subtly different language to find this type of information? And brands should be able to, number one, understand that, but be able to respond to that in a way that can have meaningful change in the year to come. That's a big reason that I included this in, in one of the use cases of, of search data in an annual plan. We work obviously in, in fast moving, quickly evolving B2B technology spaces and audiences change the way that they refer to technology really, really rapidly and very consistently. And we should be able to get our hands on and get a strong grasp on how that has changed. And so you can use keyword data, regardless of the SEO tool that you're using, to understand what are our 15, 20 targeted head keyword phrases. Punch them all into the tool and start to get a deeper understanding of, is this still trending upward, right? Is search volume rising? Is it falling? Has it stayed the same? Is there some seasonality that we weren't aware of? Even more importantly, are there variations to this term that are very similar, but are gaining more interest? And maybe the search volume is a little bit lower, but we need to really consider this based on the trend line. And you should cycle all of those top phrases through that. I can guarantee that in a matter of 30 minutes, you will have some of the deepest insights possible to drive that messaging refinement. And sometimes it's those really, really, really small nuggets of information that can make all the change. Because again, to your point earlier, we need to know how our audience is, uh, is searching for and digesting the information that we feel as an organization is most reflective of us and what we're trying to do in the year ahead. So message refinement is one of the three things that you cover very well in the blog. Another thing you talked about is cusp content. I love the expression. It's intriguing. What is it? Where does it come from? And, and how does it play into developing content? I don't know if this phrase is completely made up. I don't I don't know that it's as widely used as it certainly is in the in the look left walls because I use it so often. But cusp content is any article, any URL on a website. It could be a blog, it could be a white paper, uh, it could even be a piece of contributed content off-site. But any piece of content that has a keyword or a series of keywords that are ranking for a relevant, highly searched term that is inside of the top 100, meaning it's ranking in the first 10 pages of Google, but outside of the top 20. So you're not on page one or two, 
which is where 99.9% of the clicks, most would argue that 99.9% of the clicks happen on page one or even the top five. But if you're not inside the top 20, you know, you may as well be outside of the top 100. So a cusp keyword is a keyword that we can isolate as we are already ranking. So Google associates some level of co-occurrence with our brand and our content in that term, but is not ranking as competitively as we need to, to drive traffic. And as an SEO or, or a content marketer, those should really be on the short list of primary opportunities and, and areas that we would prioritize. Because again, it's sort of like low hanging fruit, right? We're there, we're just not close enough. And so I think this is a data point that as I lay out on the blog is critical for all communicators and all organizations, because it does present such ripe opportunity. And I kind of walk through the steps of number one, using the organic research tools and whatever the SEO tool of choice is that you use And what I always recommend is let's filter out branded keywords, right? Anything that contains the name of our brand or any specific brand product language. And then the key to this cusp analysis is looking at keywords in two really critical groupings. One would be positions 11 to 15. And so in a traditional search result, that would be the beginning to the middle of page two, right? So just outside of that page one positioning where if we could move a keyword from position 11 to position nine, you're certainly going to increase your search impressions and the brand value that inherently comes with that, but you're probably going to start to generate more clicks. And then equally as important positions four to seven. So we're on page one, but we're kind of below the scroll fold. We are certainly not getting the amount of clicks that the positions one through three are. And so how can we move the needle on those? And from there, because this recommendation really came in the context of hey, let's find content to link to while we're writing content as part of our programs. You can really isolate the more educational and resource-based URLs. So of those, let's say, you know, 30 keywords that are between 11 through 15, excuse me, and four through seven, you know, maybe you have 10 blog posts that have a couple of those keywords. And so what I always recommend to brands is lay out those 10 to 15 blog posts by topic, distribute those amongst the team or amongst the organization. And when you're writing a byline on a similar topic, boom, you have two or three blogs that you can cite and link to in that piece of contributed content you have a far, far, far greater chance of getting that link to pass the sniff test of the editorial channels and all of their processes. And sometimes a single link or two links from some of these high value, high authority publications that we write contributed content on can be enough to move the needle and get that keyword from page two to page one. And that's where you can really start to see the added value that a good PR and own media strategy can deliver And you start to really help tell a broader value story for the organization. So that's a really great one that I always recommend. All right. We need to mine the gap, the backlink gaps. They're awfully important. And uh, why so? And what should companies be doing? This is probably my favorite of the three hacks. And the reason for that is it, it is by far the easiest. So what we're really talking about here is using a technical data point called a backlink gap, which is very SEO speak, to help refresh our media list, right? So You've probably been involved with lots of programs where media lists can can become stale over a year or two, right? We're talking about very similar vertical trade publications. The top tier is the top tier. And we're always looking for creative ways to get an edge amongst the competition. And so a, a backlink gap is really nothing more than finding websites, in this case, publications, right? Let's treat those, those phrases synonymously, that have written about and one step further linked to 
a set of two or three competitors, but not yet you, not yet your organization's website. And so it may sound a little technical, but really what we're finding is highly relevant sites. If they've written about and linked to two or three of our competitors, it would be hard to argue the relevance of that and the interest of that publication on the topic that you're qualified to write about and be a thought leader in. And it may open the door to opportunities that you wouldn't have traditionally thought about, right? We may find up and coming publications, or we may find creative ways to stretch or differentiate our narrative just a little bit to become relevant in those spaces. And again, now you're talking about not just adding value to the traditional PR program, but you're also finding ways to find clear connections and integrations with an SEO strategy. And so it's really important to to run the analysis as I lay out in the blog. You can weed out those lower quality websites and filter out by domain authority 50 plus to make sure that you're getting those really rich publications. And then just take a look at it with the team across the organization. Hey, which ones of these should we go after? How can these new websites potentially help us achieve our goals? And so my hope is that you can start to see how powerful that could become to really expand and refine a media list. And the one thing that I will say to caveat this is you may find in the analysis that there are sites that have historically written about your organization, but they may still come up if they have not provided a backlink to your site like they have to other competitors. And so that may not be an area where it's a true gap where you've never been mentioned. You may not add them to the media list, but it is a flag that we should probably reach out to them and see if they can actually edit whatever the article was that we were referenced with a backlink similar to the way that they've done for our competitors. So there's value nonetheless, but I did just want to um, call that out that just because something is showing up as a gap from an SEO data point doesn't necessarily mean they haven't, that publication hasn't written about you. What it definitely means is if they have, they have not provided a backlink. Both of those two things are very valuable. Yeah, I think that gap analysis can be so important. As you mentioned, publications you might have not have thought of uh, to begin with, but in other instances, there are times where a client might relegate a particular outlet to a tier three kind of status, and yet you look at this and uh, there's tremendous potential there, and it drives the kind of audiences that they need and that they're selling to. So just having that information really can be invaluable. Yeah, really good point. And I've seen an awful lot of this just in my years in agency. Brands can can tend to get really focused on one or two outlets that they've just historically or or associated some some legacy value to, right? And so this exercise can actually get them to expand that thinking a little bit and say, oh, I never really considered those two or three publications to be as strong as the ones as we target, but our three competitors are there and we're not. There's got to be value in closing that gap. And again, those links, if you can earn them back to your website, just improve the overall visibility of the domain. And, and you start to see the value and the impact that a strong search strategy can have on the overall visibility of your brand and broader PR goals. And so this is a way to, again, connect those dots. So we have three great suggestions here today, leveraging the keyword data to refine the messaging, our good friends' cusp content, which I love, uh, and the backlink gaps that you just talked about here. What are some of the, to just wrap it all up here, what are some of the tools that companies need to complete these kinds of tasks and assist them in their planning? Unfortunately, we can't pull these things out of thin air and they don't come from Google Analytics. So I would say at a minimum, you're going to need some sort of baseline enterprise SEO tool. The three that most organizations use and that I would recommend would be SEMrush, Ahrefs, or Moz. 
all three of those have the functionality and the tool sets and, and everything that you need to accomplish everything that I lay out in the blog and that we've talked about today and more. So it really just comes down to budget level and what your organization is trying to accomplish. But in addition to Search Console and Analytics, you're going to need something from that short list of three to help accomplish this. And those three tools you mentioned, Matt, are they fairly intuitive? Are they fairly easy for team members to pick up? What's the difficulty level? They are all fairly intuitive. There's a range between what I maybe would recommend for an SEO beginner versus somebody who's got a little bit more experience there uh, because they were on the spectrum. But for the most part, reading a couple of the articles that each of them have in their respective you know, blogs and education centers and kind of just toying around for a couple of hours, you're, you're going to become savvier than you might expect at each of these tools. And um, to help complete these things that we lay out on the blog, you're probably going to have somebody need to have somebody who's got at least a little bit of experience in doing this. But increasingly more, we're starting to see this trend towards content teams having at least one person who's got some experience in search. And so again, I encourage everybody to flag this as an opportunity to your team. We're right in the heat of planning season and offer it up as an opportunity and challenge the team to um, use some of these tools to complete this analysis and see what you can find. And then finally, incorporating this uh, SEO data into these PR strategies, which are being here developed now at the beginning of the year. But it's it's obviously an ongoing process, sort of living documents, if you will, constantly being refreshed, because as you mentioned a few minutes ago, keywords are changing all the time, outlets are changing. It, it's just a, a very dynamic world we live in. And so keeping these strategies really up to date is very important. Yeah, I would recommend for the backlink gap, and the cusp content that that would be a quarterly exercise and then for the keyword insights you're probably going to need at least six months but i would argue that you're totally fine if you do that once a year to help shape the messaging but it certainly never hurts to keep an eye on this stuff consistently you've been listening to look left's head of digital matt raven with the latest installment in our series on content marketing matt recently published a blog on this topic you can read more see the blog and check out all our other Look Left content by visiting www.lookleftmarketing.com. And if you haven't already, we invite you to subscribe to the Look Left at Marketing series on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, we welcome your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Thanks again for joining us on this edition of the Look Left at Marketing podcast. Till next time, be well.